Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right. All right, so in today's episode, I'm with Clint Weigel, the owner of CrossFit Soul in Twinsburg, Ohio. And Clint and I go, we were just actually just discussing this before we started. We go way back. Um, Clint and, and his wife Kaylee and CrossFit Soul with uh, Sean and Megan Humphreys were my first real experience with CrossFit. Um, and I, I don't even, what year do you think that was? I think it was 2013. 13? I, uh, I talked to Kaylee this morning about it. And she was saying that she actually shadowed your on-ramp with Sean. That was her first she was, on-ramp. She was like, yeah, she was my on-ramp coach. Um, and yeah. I, that's probably about right because I had been a physical therapist for a couple of years and moved to Seoul. Yeah, that's probably about right. So, so yeah, we go way back. And, uh, I mean, I've seen kind of the evolution of CrossFit Soul firsthand. And uh, I remember when you quit your job to become a CrossFit coach and uh, just kind of where things took off from there. So obviously Clint is super passionate about CrossFit and, and everything movement related. And uh, I knew I wanted to have you on this podcast and talk to you about things because we talk about stuff all the time. So it, it only made sense. But when we're talking about the idea of what to do, Clint's like, let's talk about how to be safe and, and successful with CrossFit. And, and it, I think that just speaks to kind of what you do at CrossFit Soul and, and, and uh, why you guys are so successful over there. So um, with that said, man, what have you been up to lately at, at Seoul? How are things treating you? And, and then we'll dive into kind of what you guys are doing to keep people safe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this year has been kind of a unique year for us. Um, kind of had everything rolling right in place of how we wanted it to go. And then COVID just came in and kind of messed it all up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had a familiar, familiar story. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, Right now, we're just trying to get uh, consistency with our coaches, um, programs in place, so that way it just we can continue to build on it year after year. Um, currently working on um, just the long-term approach for CrossFit Soul. Uh, we're doing like monthly meetings with our members. So um, every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of the month, I'll be like there to talk to my members for 20-minute sessions and help them like with their goals, with their nutrition, um, how they're moving, whatever that might be. Um, and just kind of get more personal with them. So these meetings are more just like a Q and a, like anything they want to bring to the table. You guys are just there to, to chat. Is that yep. kind of the idea? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll like, we'll tape at it. I've had to talk to you about sleep. Um, I've watched people do like Olympic lifts and help them with their form on Olympic lifts. So mm -hmm. it's been just whatever they wanted to discuss. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. So, um, again, I, I, I probably don't know as much of what's going on now as, as I would have a few years ago, but I've kind of seen this evolution of just you taking a lot of different paths and um, looking at the recovery realm and, and kind of keeping people healthy. Uh, every time I walk into that gym, there's like new equipment from the Normatech boots to the uh, Hypervolt to the, uh, the crossover symmetry machines, um, Iron Neck. I think Kelsey, Kelsey got you to buy <laughs> one of the members, uh, Kelsey. Um, which I don't want to make him listen to this, but, uh, I know he's like, he's like, I was talking to Clint about the iron neck and then boom, you guys have an iron neck. <laughs> yep, reverse hyper, same kind of story with that too. 
with Kelsey. That's right. You did tell me you got a reverse hyper. So yeah. all the all the recovery tools that you could ever need, um, I feel like you've picked up. So I think with this episode, we want to dive into kind of your top three. What are the top three things that you think the CrossFit athlete could do uh, to to keep themselves safe and be successful with CrossFit? Um, what are your three? And and then we'll dive into them. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I mean, I really didn't know much about the whole recovery route. Um, I think back in like 2014 when we were kind of working together a little bit, I ate bad foods and uh, um, kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was working with you. And I think I have you to thank for kind of putting me on the path for recovery and um, exploring different avenues for that for my members. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like for a while there, you were scheduling sessions with me not to actually do anything, but just to like talk about stuff. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'll be happening soon again so <laughs> um yeah i think the top three things to be safe with crossfit um i think inflammation just keeping inflammation low in the body and there's many ways that we can kind of go about that um consistency just showing up every single day creating habits with your routines um and then working with someone like you so a professional in the movement a movement specialist professional who can um, work with like dry needling, help you figure out the deeper issues that are going on with your body. Um, I think those are the three biggest things that, uh, I've seen be most beneficial for my members. I think they can go a long way for a lot of cross people too. So, yeah, I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. And the more I look at the research and you look at aging and, and chronic disease, inflammation is obviously, uh, it's a key player, right. In uh, chicken or egg and, and how does it come into play? I think we got to tease that out still, but, um, it's obviously a big important factor in, in how we heal. And then also kind of when things go bad. So when you say inflammation to your athletes and, and we got to manage that, what does that mean to you? And, and what are you telling, what are you telling them? Yeah. Um, so inflammation can happen for a number of different reasons. Um, if you're in bad positions and you're moving those bad positions, I think you have a probability of adding more inflammation to your body. Um, my cousin, Phil, he mentioned, um, you can't really overtrain. You're more under recovered. So if you don't get enough sleep, um, don't eat the right foods to help you with your recovery. Um, all those things can have an impact on inflammation. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say Phil Weigel, uh, for those of you who don't know is the owner of CrossFit, uh, CLE, um, and is part of the whole Weigel clan. So Phil, I am going to force to be a, a guest on this here again soon. Cause some good stuff to add in uh yeah yeah of course so uh, go ahead so when you are looking to manage inflammation uh, what's the baseline that you're giving the giving your athletes and and how do you guys help manage that yeah um so i think the easiest thing for us to do is just look at how they move um what are their natural positions are their shoulders rolled forward a little bit um typically if that happens from what i've seen it it increases the ability. Like you can't really engage the back side of your body. You can't engage your mid back muscles the way that I think will create more stability for that person. Um, when they squat, are they using more of the front of the legs or the back of their legs? Um, there's those kind of things and then creating programs in place. So maybe it's like, I'll ask them like, Hey Nick, how much time do you have to spend on um, additional work like twice a week? Then you'll say 15 minutes or I can do it three times a week. Once I find that out from them, then I'll find a plan that works for them. So, hey, do this at home. 
do this after the workout, do this before the workout, but it's trying to figure out what your schedule is and how to implement those accessory things to help you just move better overall. So, yeah, that's, you know, when you start diving into CrossFit and, and I mean, you got some really technical movements, so you could spend, I mean, you could spend your entire day working on technical things and correctives and, um, but how do you, how do you tease out what to make the most of your time that, that you have available? Um, because you want to have time to work out too, right? Like that's, that's obviously an yeah. important piece. So how do you assess that? Like, is that something that just kind of, um, you know, you're watching these people work out, you see, you see patterns, you see things, or do you go through a formal assessment with, with your athletes when they, when they join or periodically, or, or how are you guys doing that? Uh, we, so the movement screen that you've had us do at Seoul multiple times, we want to eventually implement that in. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm at the point where I'm comfortable doing that just yet. Um, but that's going to be one of our goals is in our on-ramp, we will do a movement screening and then supply that accessory work for people right from the get-go. Um, but right now I'm assessing it by watching my classes. Um, as they're working out, I may give them a couple of cues during the workout but then I'll go up to the board afterwards and write down like, all right, Nick's shoulders rolled forward. Kaylee's um, knees are collapsing inward. And I'll try to find the root cause of why that's happening. And then with doing that, I'll say, all right, for the next month, do this three days a week. And then if that doesn't fix it, then we'll try to explore with something different. I think what's cool in our field is that I get to see 150 people move a day, like five or six days a week. So I can kind of, play around with it, guess and check and see what works for people and what doesn't. Um, and I've been able to learn a lot from doing that for uh, about eight years now. So, Heck yeah. I mean, movement screens are cool. Right? I, I, I think they do have a place. Um, but I think you learn more about an athlete just watching them go through a workout because you get to see them in different environments. Like the movement screen is so controlled. They, they know you're watching them. Um, there's no fatigue involved. There's no, you know, uh, yeah. workout there's load, there's endurance, there's fatigue. Um, there's the atmosphere of moving fast. And, um, I mean, you get to see how they move in, in a lot of different sequences. So I know like if you send a, if you send one of your clients to me to see you for, for something, an issue, a lot of times I'll just ask them before I do anything, like what is Clint and what do the coaches there say you're doing wrong? Like, what are the cues you always get? Because I'll learn as much from what you guys are seeing every day as, as whatever I'm going to see in a clinic setting. So, um, and then the fact that, yeah, you can make those adjustments is, is so, so key. Um, what are the big ones? Like, I mean, I think I, I got my idea of things that I see a lot of. What are the big movement things that you think a lot of people could work on kind of out the gate? You're talking more like movement specific or like just positions? Um, I was thinking like, are there certain mobility things or things that you're consistently seeing? Like you mentioned forward shoulders and using the quads. Yeah. Are those the big ones. I mean, is that what you're seeing with most of your athletes when they. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I'll see people like a forward head position because uh, mm-hmm. we're sitting at the desk all day. Kind of I'm sitting currently um, kind of the extra load gets added back into here. Um, and like people use the traps a little bit more too in that scenario. Um, so kind of like adding some chin tucks for those people. Uh, if I see like the knees collapsing inward and the squats, or maybe their hinge isn't too right. I may have them do more like static holds in those positions, kind of stay, stay in that spot and just really learn where they should be going versus just kind of rushing through the movements. 
Yeah, this was a, this is kind of, we had a, a part of this conversation last week. Um, so we were talking about injuries and do you like, what role do you think technique plays in injuries? And, and we were kind of having this conversation of technique versus fatigue uh, and all those other kind of environmental factors that, that might play in. Um, so when you coach a position and, and you're having them hold, do you think it's a learning? You think it's more of a learning game, correct? Like they're learning to kind of feel that position. Like slow the um, movement yeah. down and, and kind of hit those spots. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the athletes, when they hear go, they just go fast and they're trying to just move as fast as they can through the positions, but they never really know what the other end of that position is. So the bottom of an air squat, they may just hit the bottom, be on their toes, their foot might collapse. And they just don't have awareness of what the foot should be doing throughout that movement. So if I can give them pause in the bottom for a little bit, they can then build more awareness of what the foot should be doing. So if it falls off that plane, they know how to fix it because they spend a lot of time there in the bottom of the squat. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, I think that's, uh, um, you see that a lot in the, in the Olympic weightlifting world, like pause positioning and halting different halting movements where you kind of stop the lift in the middle. Um, I think it builds huge kinesthetic awareness of just kind of, Hey, where's my body in space? The interesting side of that is also, you know, from a tendon standpoint, all the fast movements are going to stiffen the tendons, right? Make them more powerful, but it's also going to shorten and tighten things. Long holds in theory, if, if they're long enough, you should be able to lengthen some of that tissue and, and create real change, which for things like the bottom of the squat or bottom of a deadlift could, could be huge from a flexibility standpoint. Uh, how long are you having people hold? Like, are you doing sets of this? Are you doing, um, like what's your, what's your strategy there? Um, depending on the spot, um, I'm doing overhead squat. I might do like three sets of, um, three reps at 10 seconds at the bottom of an overhead squat. If I'm looking back squat with somebody who has a bit more of a back injury, um, they might be sitting down there for like 20 or 30 seconds with like an air squat or like a 45 pound barbell. Um, just hang out there for a longer period of time. So if they do lose position, which after 20 or 30 seconds, they typically will, they'll learn why they lost it and then learn how to correct it. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. It's like need to get, if you're having that kind of flare on you. What do you mean by that? Like, um, they'll learn, they'll learn why they lost it. What, what does that mean? Like, do you think it's a yeah. fatigue thing? Do you think it's, uh, endurance in that position? Like what, what do you, yeah, so what I'm looking for at the bottom of that back squat, like looking for that balanced foot and the backside to be active. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, if they have a hard time holding those positions, the, those muscles will fatigue, and then they'll go to where they're naturally going to end up going to. Um, and you may feel when that happens, you shift more towards the front of your foot or the inset part of your foot. So then if you can notice that little bit of a change, then hopefully that your mind will kind of click and you'll move back into the stronger position. Um, that we're trying to get you to go to eventually. So, okay. no, I get what you're saying with that for sure. Then we get that, they get that kinesthetic awareness. Plus you got the guest appearance from the cat. Plus you get, uh, you get some endurance training there, right? Which, which has to play a role. Um, I, I was watching, I was watching videos the other day of, of somebody assessing an Olympic weightlifters positioning and, and then following that with like manual muscle testing and range of motion testing. And, and I think a lot of that, plays a factor, right? That's a lot of what I do. But I, I also think that the positions are so spot specific that if we're not spending time in those postures, I, I don't know what the crossover is. 
Um, I think if you have a large amount of weakness or a large amount of inflexibility, you'll shift to a bad position just because like you don't have any other choice. Like if you don't have enough hip flexion range of motion, then you're going to have to do something with your spine to make the position work. Right. So I think there's that part of it, but from a training standpoint, if you don't train the exact position, I don't know how much carryover there is, right? I think you need a foundational amount of movement to be able to access, but then the rest of it's learning and like training that spot. Like I think it needs to be very, very specific if we want to do it. And I think that's something that, that I probably as a professional should have done more of in the last, you know, several years is how do we make this look exactly like the movement you're trying to train or or that you have problems with? Because I'm not convinced there's a ton of carryover outside of a certain, certain percentage. Um, when we go there, yeah, I think, I think you can always make a movement look pretty good. You'll be compensating for it some way, kind of like how you're saying. So, um, it's, can you figure out where that compensation is coming from? Which is tricky sometimes because especially with yeah. a good athlete, with a really good athlete, like it always looks pretty, but all right, what's the, what's the exact detail. So if let's say you have an athlete and they move fairly well, um, compared to somebody that doesn't move very well, what do you think the, like from an injury standpoint, the risks of injury are at that point? Like, and how do you monitor that in your athletes? Like if somebody doesn't move well, what are you doing to make adjustments for them? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a conversation we've had a couple of times too, where yeah. um, there are so many outside factors that can come to play. So if I know someone's high stress, um, they haven't had many, like we mentioned, uh, conversations, having conversations with people, um, that actually does have a good positive impact on the brain and that can help like lower inflammation too. Um, so kind of like know what their environment is like, um, know what their nutrition is like. Um, but that's, uh, that's the biggest thing I try to dial in, I guess, for them is I need to know more about them before I can assess injury risk one person versus the other. But Um, if we assume that's all the same, um, then I think it comes down to programming, how they're scaling it. Um, and I've seen people who have good positions move poorly near the end of workouts while people who have bad positions, um, they're able to just, um, still load the best that they possibly can load. And then they do more mobility work around it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys still doing like, uh, levels? Like, is that built into the... Yeah, you guys used to have like level one, level two, level three, level four, and you kind of pick whichever weight you wanted to use or whatever. Is that still, are you guys still doing that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So all of our competition levels at, at the level four variation, and then people can scale up and down however they need to. Um, now that that's, uh, it gives you a good guideline as an athlete to know I'm typically a level two athlete. Um, without the coach coming around and telling you absolutely where you should be for everything. We can then spend more time working on positions, um, loosening up some tight areas to make sure you're feeling better for your workout too. Yeah. I always liked that because I felt like you, you know, when you walk into a workout and you see the, you know, CrossFit workout, there's, there's a workout written on the board and then you have to decide, Hey, can I do this or not? And I feel like any like variation of the prescription feels like you're cheating. So then it's like, well, how much, how much do I cheat? Right. Do I, do I drop it by 50 pounds or 10 pounds or five, you know? So, um, I kind of like the levels that it, it gave you that. Uh, but I also think 
if done right, when you walk in there and you're not feeling good, right, you haven't been sleeping, it's been a high stress week, it gives you the opportunity to go, all right, well, I'm not quite feeling that level four today. Let me do a three or a two. Um, and, and I think at least on paper, it would make that decision easier. Uh, what, what have you guys yeah. seen with that? I mean, it's got to be a lot of work to, to build out those levels. So I'm assuming there's some, you've seen some value to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people tend to like those values. Um, but what's hard is if you always follow that level two variation and you're feeling off that day, you feel like you're kind of letting yourself down by not going level two. And that's one of the hard battles is like, as an athlete, you should know, um, know what you can handle that day. Yeah. And recently we've talked about like the whoop bands, our sleep monitors. Um, that kind of gives you an idea of, Hey, it's red. Maybe I shouldn't work out as hard today. Maybe I should just go in and move. Um, but without having this, I'm probably going to try to push it harder than I should on days where I probably shouldn't. So uh, what percentage of your athletes do you think are using that? Like, is it a high percentage or that's, that's all the whoop. Um, about, we have about 30 people using it. It's about 15%. All right. I mean, that's a decent number. Uh, and, and are they making adjustments of, of workouts based off of that? Like, have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I think a good bit do. I'd probably say like, 70% or so will we'll kind of follow those numbers a bit more. So kind of if they look, yeah, I'm relatively new to the whoop band game. And, um, but I, I mean, I would say, especially if it's like low yellow or red where you're showing like poor recovery, like you feel like crap, you know, like, you know, you yeah. did something silly that day uh, or the day before. Um, the days that surprise me on the whoop band, sometimes it'll tell me I'm like 98% recovered. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel like probably the other way. Like I should probably do more that day because my system's functioning higher than maybe my, my mental, my mental aspect yeah. is firing. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like my body is on a delay sometimes like a one day delay. Like it'll say red and I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. Then I'll work out and I'll be like, ah, shouldn't have done it. <laughs> <laughs> your mind, your mind is off a day. Yeah. 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 I, I, we had this conversation, but I, I'm a pretty big believer in that most of the injuries, I think technique plays a large role. Um, but I think most injuries are related more to fatigue and kind of how your system's doing than it is anything. Um, and I think technique plays more a role in your, your ceiling or your potential, right? An athlete with terrible technique, you know, they're just never going to move as much weight because their technique's not good. They're, they're not able to shift into the bigger muscles. So they're not going to be able to move as much. So they're still going to work at whatever that capacity is uh, to some degree until they get good enough to like push past that normal baseline. You know, like I watch my daughter, you know, she's a year and a half and I watch her try to pick something up. Does it look right? No. But am I worried about it? No, because her system's going to govern like, all the stretch receptors and the Golgi tendon organs and the tension receptors, like they're not going to let her pick it up because she knows it's not safe. Um, so I don't know if that's a technique game or, you know, you know, 10 years from now we start training those systems and teach her how to lift more capacity. And, and then I think we're going to run into more problems, but uh, I don't know how much of it's positional versus just the system's not working right. So it's fatigued. Yeah. I, the yeah, injuries um, I've had have been, I've been in bad, like, I know I've been tired. I've been beat up. I've been sore. And then that's when something bad happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, from what I've seen at, at my gym, um, I think a lot of the injuries happen. Like our coaches will tell the person like, hey, you have a rounded shoulder in this position um, and it keeps happening. And they're like, well, I feel fine. And then eventually it does catch up to them. And we're always kind of in the ear telling them, hey, I would start doing this, start doing that. And usually once they reach that point where they do have to go see you or someone else, that's when they'll come back and they'll start fixing those routines. Maybe. So we're trying to implement is like, how can we get them before that stage happens? Um, so I think it's the fatigue of that bad position for a long period of time. And then that kind of, I think you and I are a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you um, and I don't have a good answer, but I think, if like the reason the forward shoulder example, if the, the athletes continuously pushing on the front of the shoulder, like that's going to press stress on the anterior capsule and their smaller muscles in the front. Um, the biceps tend to run through there and the, and the super, like we know that causes shoulder impingement. And so if you're stressing those weak positions, I, I agree with you in that it's, it's probably a matter of time before you get hurt. But my, my like devil's advocate argument is like, you can walk into a planet fitness or any kind of like 24 hour gym and go, that athlete moves awful. Yeah. How are they, you know what I mean? Like, how did they not break themselves? And, and my answer to that is, well, they move so bad that they just can't do enough to get hurt, right? Like, yeah, you just can't put sense. enough stress to the tendon to hurt yourself until you're good enough to really start pressing those 90% efforts. Um, and, and you've trained those, the nervous system to be able to override some of the protective mechanisms. That's when I think you, you, you probably have to be more careful, but I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting beast. There's, there's a fair amount of, I shouldn't say a fair amount, but there is some research where they're tracking athletes and uh, the one study, it actually just popped up on my Facebook timeline. I shared it a year ago. The one study referenced, uh, they followed a female sports team and I can't remember the sport, but the only thing they linked to injuries was sleep and nutrition. Like didn't seem to matter about programming. Technical considerations didn't matter. Sleep and nutrition were the biggest factors on, on who got into a state of overtraining um, and, and injury. So I, I think we overlook – we spend so much time on technique, and I think that's going to make you a better lifter, a uh, better mover. But I think we also have to spend a fair amount of time looking at those other inflammatory factors because they, they play, you know, they play. Um, but it's – I don't know. The people I'm seeing are – it's all over the map. Um, but I had a guy uh, just the other day who hurt his back and he's like, I didn't do anything different than I always do. And I was like, okay. And I'm kind of trying to figure out how he got hurt. And he's not a, he's not a workout person. And uh, turns out he's been working in his attic at his house for the last however many days in like a crouched position doing all this attic work. And then that led to, you know, then another kind of high stress demand showed up and boom. Um, so, you know, there's a non-weightlifting scenario, but he's like, ah, I've been working a lot. I haven't been getting sleep. And then my back just started to hurt. Like, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and that's like figure out how much you're willing to sacrifice to make those changes get better. So currently I'm averaging like five and a half to six hours of sleep a night. And that number needs to get better if I want to perform the way that I want to perform. So I can either perform and push it and get hurt, or I can dial my performance back a little bit get away with it until I can improve my sleep. So, so that's, that's, I think the key, like if you want to push your performance, you better have that other, your technique better be right. Your sleep better be right. 
if you yeah. just kind of be like middle of the road, you can probably get away with more. You know, if you're working out at a 60% intensity, you can probably get away with some slop, right? Like a oh, yeah. little bit of For bad sure. sleep, a little bit of bad technique. If you're not in those higher percentages, you can probably get away with it. But as soon as yeah, you like, yeah, I, I, my information from nutrition is so low that I can kind of pull off more information from sleep. Maybe not warm up as much as I probably should, but yeah. um, if that sleep's up there, I can then push it a lot better with my performance, like you're saying. That's interesting. Um, and and sleep is something that I haven't been tracking until recently. So I'm really curious to see kind of how that plays. How are you noticing nutrition and sleep? Um, I know you're doing – what are you doing nutrition-wise now? And what do you recommend for your athletes? Uh, so nutrition-wise – um, I've always been kind of on that whole 30 approach, um, okay. with like rice, um, potatoes, and I'll kind of load up on those a little bit more than I should. Um, and recently I've had like a issue with GERD, um, where I think I started to overeat rice a little bit too much and I wasn't getting enough variety in me. So now I'm playing with uh, black bean pasta, uh, red lentil, quinoa pasta, um, brown rice, Ezekiel bread and kind of mixing all that stuff together and I'm seeing a lot better results with it. So I'd say I was eating a very low inflammation diet, but I didn't have variety to it. So now I'm getting that blend and I'm getting, I'm feeling a lot better because of that. So, um, in my gluten-free experience, red lentil pasta has got to be the best. What's that? Red lentil pasta is the best gluten-free pasta that exists in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of brand, it's pretty good. Cool. I haven't tried that one yet. You so haven't? Have it. uh, it's, yeah, it's like tonight or tomorrow I'm going to have it for the first time. So It's it's better than any of the rice or corn or the black bean one's not good, but red lentil pasta is... The black bean one is nasty to make. It's, <laughs> it's like gooey. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, do, the, do the red lentils. It'll be a winner. Cool. I'm excited. So um, are, you, are you tracking macros with that? Not, no. No, um, I have in the past and I have a basic idea of where I'm at with it. Mm -hmm. But as far as like my time during the day, doing the dishes, running the gym, um, getting my own workouts in, playing with my daughter, being with Kaylee, there's really not much time to add another stress to my life. And um, I think for most people, you want the basic outline of what you eat like what the, the, the calorie count looks like, but to track that every single day tends to be another chore that you're adding in. I think our goal is to eliminate stress and give ourselves more time versus add additional layers to it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I like that approach. What do you do with an athlete that's struggling with the nutrition side? Like, is there something specific you recommend or you just be whole 30 and see what shakes? Yeah, uh, so I just got my uh, nutrition certification through Precision Nutrition. Um, and a lot of it's just learning about what you're currently doing. So if you can give me three days of what you're doing, I'm going to look over that and then give you adjustments where it kind of keeps your same structure in place, but it makes some minor changes to help you live a healthier life. And um, my go-to is uh, look at whatever has the most processed sugar in it and get it to be less. So could be three cans of pop going down to two. Um, could be instead of having uh, like wheat bread, you switch to Ezekiel bread. Um, just minor changes that get you to be in a more less processed route. Yeah, 
And I think most of us would go, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what do you think the hiccup is there? Like when people struggle with that, is it time? Is it convenience? Is it just straight sugar addiction? Like what do you think people struggle with the most when you make those recommendations? Um, people get in habits. So they're just so used to having their snack before bed. Um, that's just a high sugar snack and they just can't get away from that craving. Um, I think people kind of lie to themselves a little bit and they say they're eating really healthy. Um, so my trick with that is I have everyone send me a picture of everything they eat at every meal. So then it forces them to see if at the end of the day, at the end of the week, every single thing they've ate. And then we kind of talk through it with the pictures like right in front of them. Now you can avoid taking pictures of some people have done, uh, <laughs> but then you're not going to help yourself out. So <laughs> yeah, they just pick and choose what they want to send you. huh? Yep. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, that's too good. Well, then the last thing that I, we need to talk about when we talk about inflammation is sleep. Um, you, and I, I got to be honest, I still haven't read the book, um, but you made me watch this tape your mouth, Joe Rogan podcast episode, with James Nestor. And, and I did download the book on Audible, but I haven't listened to it yet. It's in my queue. Uh, but I did listen to his Joe Rogan podcast. And uh, I mean, they make some really cool points about breath and breathing, but what, uh, what is your stance on breathing and, and what are you guys doing nowadays with that? Yeah. So um, I had been diagnosed with sleep apnea about maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Um, around that time, I also got my whoop watch and my REM sleep was like six minutes to 20 minutes a night. Typically you want your REM sleep to be about 20 to 25% of the sleep you should get. So you're looking at like an hour and a half to two hours. Um, and I think what would happen is like when I started to get into that deeper sleep, I would start to snore and then that would wake me up or take me out of any kind of deep sleep that I was in. Um, so I switch over to, uh, I throw a little piece of athletic tape over my mouth, which I do not recommend anyone to do. Um, wait, 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 wait. You're just using regular white. Like yeah. normal there's, there's a med- yeah, there's a medical tape you should use. <laughs> but I, I just was like, I just read it. Let's try it tonight. So <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, don't try that at home. Um, <laughs> and then it was, uh, I think at first I couldn't really breathe through my nose that well. So I'd wake up probably like five minutes into the night with my tape falling off my mouth. Um, and then throughout the course of the day, I started breathing through my nose again. So I'd maybe go like 15 minutes, mouth closed, breathe through my nose. And what they said is like, what Nestor was saying is we get so used to breathing through our mouths that our nose kind of closes and it collapses. So um, I think you mentioned like 80% of people have a deviated septum. Um, I remember it was high, but I don't remember the number. Yeah. And then if you kind of like just retrain to breathe through your nose, it will open up more and more. So that like 80% will then switch down to like 10% if we trained breathing through the nose. Um, so I kind of started with that throughout the course of the day. It was just breathing through the nose and, uh, my REM sleeps now looking at probably like 15 to 18% of the sleep I get a night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting a more, uh, definitely a deep, I get more deep sleep throughout the night too. Um, less disturbances. And I definitely feel more recovered when I wake up too, but I'm still battling the whole breathing through the nose thing still. So, yeah. 
I don't know. I get I get yelled at all the time. My I think my snoring and my like congestion stuff at night is 100% food and, and inflammation related to how well I'm feeling. Because like when my diet's really well and spot on and I'm you know whatever I feel good, but uh, I go straight. Why do you fall off your diet? Ha- habits, man. Habits, like you said. <laughs> I am a I am a um, I'm a terrible stress eater. Like if, yeah. I'm, if I'm fatigued or like if I if I haven't gotten enough sleep, it's bad. Or if like like oh, I just had a crummy day, like I know that I get that dopamine hit with sugar, and and it's a hard habit to break. But I can tell, man. I I definitely eat bad when I'm stressed, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think lack of sleep for me too. If I don't get enough sleep, I like just won't eat throughout the course of the day and have like a huge meal at night. But yeah, if I get enough sleep the night before, then I'm usually pretty good for the whole day. I I think there's definitely something to that for me as well. Like if I'm tired, I feel myself reaching, and it's not only that I eat more. I reach for bad, like I high carb kind of foods, like more rices and, and that kind of stuff instead of, uh, you know, meats and veggies and potatoes. And that. like you want crummy food when you're tired, I think it's weird. Yeah. In other words, yeah, one thing more, more palatable food is probably the word I'm looking for. Yeah. How, uh, I guess, do you have a consistent sleep schedule that you're doing? No, not at all. <laughs> so, um, it's something that, that I've definitely like, uh, I think I'm better at now than I was two years ago. But since starting the business, I feel like I've struggled to kind of keep any kind of schedule. Um, but recently, yeah. recently, I'd say in the last year, I've been better. But as soon as like, I don't know, I get behind on something, then I'm up late. Like uh, last night, actually, I was up till 1230 editing a podcast to make sure I could release it on time. You know, like just those, those silly little things and, and then you're messed up. But yeah. I also miss sleep on fishing days. Like if I'm going fishing that next day, like I'm waking up and it's, it is what it is, you know? But yeah. And then I don't recap. I, I don't know if you can recapture it, but I definitely don't. There was another guy on Rogan talking about sleep. Um, Matt something. Uh, Why we sleep was his, and he has a book. Yeah. He was, he was, a, I think he was a PhD. He was attacking it more from a, like a, a science standpoint. And it, he had some really interesting things about the effects of sleep deprivation on, on mood and anxiety and d- disease. I mean, it was you're like, oh, I got to get more sleep. And then life gets busy. And, and you, yeah. you know, those how about you? I mean, what are you yeah, doing? Think, from uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, I think with, uh, it was either Matt or James that mentioned that, uh, that they held like a group of college students, like less than six hours of sleep a night for a week. And then after a week, they all became pre-diabetic. Yeah. And then they like added the sleep back in and they were fine afterwards. Like once they got back into that routine, but it just shows the dangers of not enough sleep. And I don't know how people out there are getting enough sleep, but I think we're all slacking with added stress. It's, it's, that stuff's crazy to me, right? Because it's easy to talk about the nutrition side, like, oh, just do this and do that. But if sleep does that to your, to make you pre-diabetic, that's crazy. Um, I've been checking my I've been checking my blood sugar every morning for the last, I don't know, few weeks now. Um, like last night, I didn't get much sleep, and it was 10, uh, 10 points higher, I think, or something this morning than it was the day before with relatively the same food consumption. Um, yeah. It's, huh. It's interesting. It's interesting. I think it, it definitely plays a role in sleep and stress. 
but I always, I always joke back, like when we were, uh, for our honeymoon, when we went to Australia. So yeah. we literally ate out every meal for whatever a month. Um, you know, but we didn't have any ability to cook for ourselves. So we literally bought everything and ate it and we were eating desserts and pastries and going out to dinners and right. We were on a vacation. Uh, but we slept like there were no demands for a month. So we slept and relaxed and had a good time and were relatively active. I think I lost 15 pounds on that trip. Zero, zero workouts, eating out every night, but just getting sleep no extra demands on life, right? We were just kind of hanging out. Um, yeah. It's interesting to me, you know? It, awesome. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, to happen that fast. So anyway, what's Kaylee think of you putting tape on your mouth while you sleep? Uh, she just, uh, she gets nervous about it, but um, <laughs> she kind of knows at this point that I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, so. <laughs> so. It makes the marriage work, right? Following my crazy nutrition things that I try and um, yeah, just lets me go for it. <laughs> I mean, looking at it from the outside and the fact that you're experimenting and trying all these things on yourself, kind of that self-experimentation, like if I'm somebody looking to join a gym or I'm looking for somebody to help me out, like I want somebody that's doing all that stuff, right? Because the person that's living it and testing stuff and, and they're going to, if they're personally invested, they're, they're going to find out more than, than somebody that's just kind of sitting on the sidelines. So I think it's really cool. Um, between, you know, I, the crew of characters that I love talking to, I love hearing what you guys are all doing because it's always something, something's always going on, but the tape on the mouth thing, it just, I don't know. I can't, I listen to that guy's stuff and I'm just like, I just can't imagine it. Like some of his claims are pretty extravagant. I'm like, yeah. wow. Like, how can it, if the body was that inefficient that it had to breathe through the nose, like we'd all be in so much trouble. I mean, maybe we are, maybe we are in trouble. That's probably part of the point. Have you done the uh, Wim Hof stuff? There's another thing that my lack of discipline has hurt me with, but I have played with Wim Hof's thing and I, I'm a hundred percent bought into Wim Hof. Yeah. I think, I think he's got something figured out for sure. Yes. Have you gotten the app? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I went from like being able to hold my breath for like 30 or 40 seconds. It's now like almost two minutes. I have another member that can hold his breath for three minutes. Now it's crazy. I've had somebody, uh, I've had somebody tell me over three minutes as well. I, the first time I did it, it was like 20 seconds and I went into like panic mode. <laughs> I was like, ah, I took a breath. And, uh, that controlling your mind, like, uh, for people that don't know, Wim Hof is like, uh, the Iceman guy, right? He does all the cold water challenges and he does these breathing drills and kind of train your system to basically ignore discomfort to some degree. And, uh, but I, I mean, some of his stuff where they're looking at preventing infection, uh, through some of his breathing drills and then his ability to do cold water challenges is just, it's insane. Yeah. So there, there's, there's gotta be something to that. I was telling Kelsey about it and, uh, Kelsey and porch and, um, I talked about how he like went up Everest with like out shoes on and without a shirt on. Did it in shorts up to a certain height. Yeah. Yeah. And they sent me an article that got frostbite from it, but. <laughs> but he did it. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's taken, and he's taken other people up too. Like he's trained other people to do it and, and go. Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, great. Yeah. Uh, the autonomic nervous system and the mind are just such powerful things that if we could learn how to tap into that autonomic nervous system to some degree, it, it has to play a factor. And 
you know, breathing, I spend a lot of time working with clients on breathing because it is the, it is the one voluntary control piece we have into the autonomics, right? The, the breath is happening in the background all the time, but we can decide about breath through the vagus nerve. We have some conscious control. So mastering that and, and kind of helping control that has to have an effect. It is just, it makes sense, you know, but, uh, have you, yeah. Have you seen, uh, so I guess, um, have you seen that new tool? It's like an upright. It's a little square piece you put in your mid back and it can kind of like help you hold a better position throughout the course of the day. I think it might vibrate if you like round your shoulders. Oh, like if you, if you do something, it cues you. Yeah. So it sends data to your phone and shows you like when you're in bad positions versus good positions. So I think it would be cool is getting one of those to put in your stomach and like learn how much you're breathing through your stomach over the course of the day. Because I think I'll only do stuff if I can track it. If I can't track it, I'm probably going to be lazy about it. But if I can see how much I'm doing there and try to improve over time, I feel like that helped the stomach breathing out like big time and fix more Mm -hmm. positions. Kind of get into that diaphragmatic breath versus that kind of stressed upper chest breathing. Um, That's kind of a cool idea. Somebody has to have that, right? This could be, I haven't seen it. I haven't. I haven't either. That's interesting. If we could track that somehow. I, I mean, I love that idea because I, I people that are tight through the shoulders, the, the tight scalenes, tight SCMs in the front, most of them have that upper chest kind of stressed postural breathing pattern, um, and, it, and we talk about training the kind of a more relaxed natural pattern. How could you track yeah. it? Be cool. In general, I don't love posture like. I've had people do, there was like straps that you could wear that would like pull you back. And I bought those. I don't like them. You don't like them? No, I don't either. I think. What about like rock tape? What do you mean? Like. Like the rock tape kind of like pulling you back just a little bit. So I think. uh, So I think the theory on the rock tape is it, it's going to give you more of that. The stretch is going to give the a sensory cue through the skin, right? The skin has a huge sensory field, gives you a little sensory feedback. You feel that stretch and in theory, you're going to, you're going to self-correct. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I don't know what, you know, is it clinically or, or, you know, is it uh, clinically meaningful difference that amount of stretch? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I, I am sure the rock tape people would say it does, but I don't know. I know that I love rock tape for swelling and inflammation. Um, yeah. like to help kind of clear out fluid and get a little lymphatic skin stretch. I think it works pretty well for that. Uh, but I don't mind it. Like if you want to try it, go for it. Uh, I've just not had a ton of success in the clinic with it, but, um, I, I don't hate it. I don't like the straps because they force you into that position. Yeah. And there's probably a reason you're there, whether it's a weakness or a flexibility, um, but half the people I know that have done the straps that pull them back, they end up with some kind of like brachial plexus nerve hands go numb. And it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Fix, fix your flexibility and strength and, and see what happens. Like train those other positions and, and get it there, but don't sure. force it. But you just did some rock. You're doing more rock tape stuff now, correct? Yeah. We just got certified in it. Um, kind of still learning it. Um, I think, which you mentioned, like it's a good sensory thing where you can feel yourself stretching this tape a little bit yeah. forward. It's a nice reminder to pull everything backwards. Um, and I think for lifts and stuff, I think that again, it's a cue. It's another, it's another, right, right. 
yeah, I think, I think it could be useful for that. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen decent results with it that way. Um, as far as, is it going to fix things long-term? I, I mean, if they have more awareness there, it might help strengthen the area, but outside of that, well, I guess we'll see. That, um, that's yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, if they're going to use it as another cue and then put in the time to build strength, then yeah. probably work, you know, probably work. But if you're just going to say, let me put this tape on and it fixes my problems. Yeah. Not a chance. Not a chance. I don't know. I think the original, like I put the tape on this way and it inhibits a muscle versus I put it on this way and it stimulates a muscle. I find it hard to believe as a clinician that we have that much control. I think I can put an input into the system and and I can hope, but um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes as clinicians, we think we have more power than we do, right? Let's give a cue, give a tactile feedback and hopefully the system, the the person that, that you're working on is able to find it, but I don't know. Yeah, and they actually uh, came back on that just recently, I guess. And they no longer oh, like the Yeah, they got rid of that. So well, that's good to hear. That's good yeah. to hear. Honestly, that's kind of what lost me with like I'm I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Like there is no yeah. way that stretch shut off a muscle. Like, ah, come on. Um <laughs> Yeah, but anyway. So that's cool to hear. But I, I love the sensory feedback that it provides, and I do like the blood flow stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we got way off on a rabbit hole. What was your number two? We started talking about inflammation and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, consistency. consistency. What do you, so, um, as in like biggest thing I see with members coming in, um, you just got to on ramp and you come in like two times a week mm-hmm. and with that you don't see that the movements that often in CrossFit. Um, so like if you see a snatch once a month, you're never going to come up with a snatch. So if you can show up more often, you'll then get more comfortable with the movements. You'll then get more out of CrossFit and then you'll be safer too. You'll build up more range of motion with it as well. So yeah, I think that's the big one that people tend to miss. And that's just, what do you think? I mean, that's a, you think that's also just a lifestyle habit kind of thing or where do you think yeah, people struggle um, with that? Yeah, I think it's, you're not putting importance behind it in the beginning. Like you haven't, created that habit yet so i think oh easy way to fix that is the more you connect with other people so if you connect with your coach there's a better chance that you're going to be like all right clint's looking for me today i need to show up that day or if you connect with the other people you work out with there's a better chance that you'll come back so the more consistency you can get with coming in and then also seeing the same people i think will keep you coming back even more and then seeing better results with it too yeah, that's that makes a ton of sense to me. Like now you've dual purpose that time. Like not only are you going there to get your workout in, but because you've built a relationship, it's it's a social it's a social activity as well, which especially given today's uh conditions yeah. is, is so big. I mean, everybody's trying to switch to online and, and, and I there's value to online training and I think it's something that we need to have as an option, but the social piece of that's just missing, you know, like you yeah. still need it. Yeah, you still need yeah, We've tried the online and it was like, I think like 3% of our people were going to the classes and I know there's online people that do it better than me. So I should just let those people kind of take the online stuff and I focus more on the in-person stuff. Yeah, I've, I've wondered about that. Like um, obviously every yoga studio and all the little like kind of studio businesses went online during, during the COVID shutdown. And I think some of them found some success and, and some didn't, but I think the people that are paying for memberships at your brick and mortar store, they value the relationship. 
So, you know, you've kind of taken away a core part of your service. Um, And if they didn't value that relationship, they'd have been paying $20 to somebody else, you know, like they would have never got to your store. You know, that's, that's, I have to believe a huge part of that. Um, They've already seen the value in that in person. And and that's why I think no matter what kind of happens here with COVID and things, I don't, I don't think the group fitness world is ever going anywhere. Uh, It might look a little different, but I don't think it's going anywhere because. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's nice to go out next to somebody and have that push. The community of CrossFit is so powerful. Like, I don't know, just being able to talk to people and people always say like, Oh, you talk to a CrossFit. All they do is talk about CrossFit and, but that's because it's such a powerful kind of, you know, people want to talk about it because they get into it and it's, it's an addicting kind of thing. Yeah. So good stuff, man. And then the last one you talked about is, is like body work and, and getting stuff done. Um, you know, we've done a lot of that together and obviously that's, that's stuff that we talk a lot about. What value do you see in getting tissue work done and, uh, whether it's cupping or needling or massage or chiropractic work, or, um, what, what are you, what are the values you seeing for yourself and your athletes? Yeah. So this kind of goes back to our static holds that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So I can do a pretty good job of like, I know what I want your squat to look like, but do I know that those muscles are firing properly? Um, and if they're not, I think things may flare up, but I can't really tell what the root cause of that is where someone like you you know how to test the muscles to make sure the glute is firing in certain positions. And if it's not, you know how to go needle a couple different areas, get those other muscles to activate or loosen up, and then get the muscles to fire the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that having the combo between the two can really make athletes pretty powerful. Um, yeah. And that's, that's going to somebody who is taking the time to work with you as a movement specialist like you do. So um, then you do a great job with people. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, and I'll, I'll say the same thing about needling and manual therapy is, is I did the, the taping, right? Like it gives you a head start. Like I can take pain, like I can help reduce the pain. I can help reduce some of the guarding so that you can do the movements. But if you don't go actually practice and use those positions, it, it's also a short-term fix, you know, like unless you want to come see me three times a week for forever, which you know, whatever we'll do what we got to do. But <laughs> no, I mean, like the whole goal is to, to use that as the icing on the cake, right? Like body work to keep you healthy and, and get rid of some of the nasty stuff um, or help kind of point things in the right direction. But I love working with you guys because, and you know, you, an athlete comes in and you go through and you say, okay, you know, I see this, this, and this, and I can quickly just t- send them an email, the kind of session notes, but then just tag you guys in it and, all right. Yeah. <laughs> coach yeah, no, it's awesome. yeah. Like yeah, those guys are really happy. Yeah. It's in that fix that they need, but then you follow up with us, which is amazing for us to have that. And that makes sure the athlete continues to do their homework and um, fix the issue for, so it won't be a long-term issue. So absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys see, like I see most of my people once a week or less. So you guys see them five times a week, right? Six times a week. Yeah. So to not take advantage of that person that's kind of seeing them all the time and, and kind of knows them on a personal and, and, and more intimate level, man, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think the more the, the rehab world and the, the strength and conditioning world can interact, um, I think the better off we're going to be uh, all around, you know, all around. So 
that seems to be a trend that's evolving. Like I think there's more and more rehab pros kind of getting into the, the fitness world and, and, and you guys kind of dabbling into, I mean, I know, I know coaches like yeah. you guys know as much about this stuff that there's anybody. And, um, I think you're undercrediting yourself when you say, Oh, I don't know what's going on here. Like it's not very often that somebody comes in and Clint thinks I'm doing this. It's like, it's not very often that you're wrong. It's kind of like, well, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Go fix it. (laughs) 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 You know, like, um, yeah. So I think it's, it's cool to see how closely uh, the thought processes are starting to interact uh, between the groups. So pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. All right, man. Well, if you wanted to send people out with one last thing, like one thing that you could advise them on to stay healthy, what would it be? Um, yeah, I think if one thing kind of feels off, don't just assume it should feel off, like explore it, figure out what's going on. So a little bit of a crank in your shoulder, take a lacrosse ball, become a detective, talk to your coach, find a movement specialist, talk to them. Um, but don't just assume that you're stuck with it. That's a great piece of advice. Like if it feels something's not right, it's, it's probably the warning sign that something's not right. Like the back pain one I get all the time. Like, Oh, I thought my hamstring was just tight. Like why would your hamstring just randomly get tight? Like it, yeah, probably a nerve running through there going like, Hey, I don't like this. I don't like this. Like it's kind of warning you that something's not right. Explore that. Um, that's yeah, that's awesome advice. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. Well, this was fun. Uh, I know we went down some rabbit holes and talked about all kinds of good stuff, but we'll, we'll have to do it again. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me, Nick. Where can people find you? Uh, we got CrossFitSoul.com and what else? Where else can people find you? Our Facebook or our Instagram, CrossFit underscore soul. Um, working on that social media game. Haven't gotten it going too good yet. So <laughs> we'll get there. You and me both. Reindeer Games? <laughs> Reindeer Games, I'm guessing, is canceled this year? Not this year, yeah. Canceled I, it. I actually just thought of that just now. Like, oh man, that should have been last week or this week, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a very stressful year. That would have been a little bit too much this year, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. Next, next year, back to it. Yeah, All right, man. Good. All right, man. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk again. All right. Thanks. All right, Clint. Thanks. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.